It's always a joy to be here at Park City. Y'all are a great partner. And I want to uh, introduce you to Gilberto Santiago, Pastor Jeff. And I were talking about his story. And you may not be aware of it, but Park Cities is a part of what, a story of what God is doing in Gilberto's life. So I want to let him tell you a little bit about himself. And so first, tell us about yourself, Gilberto. Uh, uh, first, I, I am grateful to God uh, for being here with you this morning. My English is not good, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so uh, I was born in Havana, Cuba. Um, from childhood, my parents uh, took me to the Baptist church. So, but I remember at age 12, in young camp, I received Jesus Christ as my savior. Yeah. So I start at the university, I obey God's call to ministry. So I went to the Baptist uh, Theological Seminary in Havana. I was pastor in two churches uh, for 10 years. God blessed me with uh, three beautiful girls, my wife, Eileen, and my two daughters, Esther and Elizabeth. Amen. And Gilberto, from Cuba, received some training in Cuba. And tell us a little bit about that. Yes. At the end uh, of the seminary in 2005, I had the opportunity to continue my study, the master's degree yeah. from B.H. Carroll Theological Institute. But I remember uh, uh, that a professor yeah. at the institute told me, Gilberto uh, Park City Baptist Church was paid for you, uh, uh, gave me, also gave me the new laptop to continue my studies. So I very, very grateful to you because God used you to support me in, in my uh, training, yes, for the work of God. And Gilberto was in compute, uh, Cuba, but now he is here. And uh, tell us, how did you happen to come, not only to America, but to Dallas? Yes, uh, my younger daughter was born with uh, genetic syndrome. Uh, she couldn't see, she couldn't hear, she couldn't move. So in Cuba, it's not possible to help her. So I had the opportunity to meet brother and sister of uh, Park City Presbyterian Church, uh, PCPC. So also I, I meet the Lib Global Mission, this foundation to help the kids with genetic problems. So they brought us here in, in Texas, in the medical city. So my daughter has had five surgery. So now she see, she hear, and she jump too much. Uh, so, yeah. God has done a miracle. So uh, the process, my, my younger daughter is long, so we, we decide to uh, stay here in the United States and, and pray God to continue using us for his glory. Amen. Yeah. He has a beautiful family and two beautiful daughters. 
But God not only was planning to meet their need in a special way, but also in this time that our city is growing tremendously in the Hispanic population, God was bringing Hiberto to help us with that. And so we got connected with him, and he is now serving as a, a consultant with us, but also works with our Hispanic seminary, seminario. And let me tell you what God's done in the last year. A year ago, when he took over, we had 30 students. Today, we have 168 students in seven different locations around the city of Dallas, taking the training to close to where the Hispanic pastors and leaders are. And you'll be seeing in some of the pictures that are being shown, some of the training that he has had. I tell you, they have been packing out many of the training and seminars that uh, Heberto has led or hosted. And it is obvious to us at the associational office that God has his hand upon this man in a special way for such a time as this to help us in reaching the dramatically growing Hispanic population. And so this is a wonderful way God has worked in an unexpected way to bring him here, not only to get the medical help that his daughter needed, but to help us in reaching our mission field. And you're a part of that story, and we just thank you and praise the Lord for what he has done. Amen. All right, this summer you have been studying in the Psalms, and specifically uh, how to worship God through the seasons of the soul. And we come today to Psalm 102, and I'd encourage you to open up your Bible to that wonderful chapter as we consider the season of despair. You'll notice at, before verse number one, there's a title to this psalm. It is called the prayer of an afflicted man. When he is faint, he pours out his lament before the Lord. This word afflicted means someone who's been a victim of some pain or injury or harm, and the pain is unrelenting. It is someone who is overwhelmed by the suffering that they are going through. And the Bible says that he is faint. He is feeling so weak, it's hard to put a step in front of the next one. And it begins with a prayer. It really is a prayer, the whole psalm. And here's what the psalmist said in verses 1 and 2. He said, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me and answer me speedily in the day in which I call. Sometimes the prayers in Scripture express for us what we are going through and what our heart is feeling. And it is a powerful thing to let those scriptural words become our prayers. And there are no doubt many who have sometimes prayed this prayer in their own prayer life. One commentary I checked said that this is a mosaic of prayer terms, these first two verses. He talks about my prayer and my cry. And he says, do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. He felt distant from God. And he wondered, is God aware? Is God seeing what's happening in his life? He said, incline your ear to me. Come close is what he's asking God to do. And he said, answer me speedily. He wants an answer right now. How many of us could identify with the feeling that he had? He calls this the day of my distress. 
Not that there hasn't been other days that he has felt distress. But this day it's over the top. This day it is overwhelming. He feels trapped. He feels in trouble. He feels depressed. And the day that he's experiencing is not unlike a day many people in the Bible have felt. Consider Elijah. He one day was so depressed. He felt so alone that he despaired of his life and he prayed that God would allow him to die. Or think about Job and all the suffering that he went through, the days of his distress. In chapter 3, verse 26, he said this, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, only turmoil. But the prophet Isaiah said that our our Savior, our Messiah, would be a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. And Luke tells us in the garden, when Jesus was praying, the Bible says that he was in agony. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. So our Lord understands those times in our life that we're in a day of distress when our days are filled with suffering. So how do we respond? What do we do? What does this passage teach us? And um, when our days are filled with suffering, well, he goes from this two verses about prayer to describe his days of suffering in verses 3 and 11. It's kind of like a bookend because he begins in verse 3 talking about my days pass away like smoke. And then in verse 11, he again says, my days are like an, an evening shadow. It's not just one day of distress. It is days of, of distress. It is times of despair. His days are vanishing before his eyes like smoke dissipates in the air. He is burning with a fever as his bones burn like a furnace. He feels his heart is withering like grass with a scorching sun. Kind of what we've seen the last couple of days. His appetite is gone. He forgets to eat. He has lost weight. His bones cling to his flesh. He feels utterly alone, like a desert owl in the wilderness, like a little bird on top of a house. He feels all alone. He cannot sleep. He lies there on his bed awake. In addition to all this physical suffering, he has been attacked by enemies all day long. And he is grieving. He is feeding on grief like bread, eating ashes. He cries and the tears fall into his cup. He feels his life is quickly fading away like the shadows at sunset that just rush off. This is his days of suffering. When I read this passage of scripture, I think of a pastor friend of mine who served for 28 years at another church in Garland. We were pastors together, wonderful, godly pastor. He retired a few years ago. Within a month, he was diagnosed with cancer. It's terminal cancer. And the treatment that he went through was difficult and painful. And after a year, he passed away. One time when I visited him at his house, when he was going through all this treatment, he said, you know, Bob, I've never experienced pain like I have during these months. 
He said it's unrelenting. He said, now I've visited many people in my church who had chronic pain or unrelenting pain. He said, but I never really understood what they were going through. He said, I'd had pain in the past in my life, but I would get better. Or I would have times of relief. It was not pain 24 hours a day. But he said, in these periods of time, it has been that night and day, unable to sleep, the nights and day just run together. He was in pain all the time. And he said that God has used this to humble him. He said he thought of so many of his members and family members who were going through unrelenting pain, and he would come to them in love and compassion. But he would talk to them as if he knew what they were suffering. And he says, now I know that I, do not I did not understand that. He says, God has humbled me through this. He even called some of those church members, some of those family members, just to apologize. To say, you know, I, I acted like I knew what you were going through. I apologize. I did not understand. And then he said to me as we visited, he says, you know, Bob, this is what the Lord is teaching me. Then in addition to love and compassion, I needed to bring humility to those who were hurting that way. I tell you, I saw in my friend who is a godly man that in his difficult days, he drew even closer to God. You know, suffering can drive you away from God or draw you nearer still. And when you draw nearer, without exception, there's more humility in your life. I saw that in my friend. I want you to listen to a testimony of a family, an inspiring testimony of how God was faithful in difficult days. I was at um, a huge low at that point in my life. Um, despair is putting it lightly. So we proceeded to go forward with the trial and testified. On the stand, in my closing arguments, I had the opportunity to say whatever I wanted to say to him I knew I had to forgive him for what he did because I knew that's what God would want me to do and so I said that on the stand one of the jurors actually was so moved by my act of forgiveness that she later accepted Christ um, which is a really neat sweet part of the story. So um, my second season of despair came after, shortly after Joan and I got married. We started to try to start a family and 
we were blindsided by infertility. We're at a really low point in our lives and in our marriage. Looking through the lens of someone with my past, both with um, the pregnancy termination, a good friend of mine reminded me that we don't worship a vengeful God. And um, things started to become clearer to me. I realized that I could come to him. And he wasn't mad at me. That's when I asked for forgiveness from him for terminating the pregnancy. And he led us to complete our family. My appreciation for life and God's for us it was absolutely magnified and made so clear and um, looking back at that season that John and I both absolutely agree that we were being groomed to be the parents that God needed us to be it helps to remember when you are in any season of despair that God is bigger than anything you will ever see or endure it helps if you just try to get through each day And if that means getting through minute by minute, or hour by hour, or day by day. We don't worship a vengeful God, but He loves us, and He wants what's best for us. And even if we don't know what that is, it's important for us to know who He is. What a powerful testimony. What a beautiful picture at the end of that family all together. God is a God who blesses. So what do we do in days of suffering and times of despair? And in this chapter in verse 17, the Bible has a beautiful verse. This is the one who in verse 1 said, Don't hide your face from me and incline your ear to me. Here is a promise from God who says he regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. This word regard means to turn to someone, to face them, to look at them. And for the one who said, God, don't hide your face from me, that now God is responding with a promise that says, listen, when you pray, I turn to you. I look at you. And then God says, and he does not despise the prayer of the destitute. That means to make light of, to ignore, to uh, not respond to. But this image of seeing God in his face and God looking toward us. You know, Ellen and I have two grown children and we have a little grandson, four years old, Jasper. And it's great when you uh, call him on the phone. But we've discovered FaceTime and he's discovered FaceTime. And when we FaceTime with our grandson, I want to tell you there aren't words to describe how wonderful that is. I imagine many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's just something about God drawing near to us in in our suffering, in our prayer. That's the kind of God that we have. The prophet said, a bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. And in the gospels, the disciples saw how Jesus responded to those in need. And they described it is that he was filled with compassion. So in Luke 7, when he encounters a widow who had lost her 
son in death. The Bible says he looked at her and he was filled with compassion. And he raised her son. And in Matthew 9, Jesus saw the crowds that were like sheep without a shepherd. And the Bible says he had compassion for them. Something those disciples saw. Visibly, the Lord, just his compassion just came out. In Matthew 20, two blind men came to Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus, in compassion, touched their eyes. Oh, I tell you, we have a Savior who loves us more than we can comprehend. When Jesus stood before the tomb of his good friend Lazarus and wept with his family, the Bible says Jesus wept. And the next verse says the Jews said, see how he loved him. That's our Savior. That is our God. He is filled with compassion. And when we are destitute, when we are suffering, and we call to him, he turns his face, he regards us, he turns his face to us. Uh, Dallas Willard wrote many books on spiritual disciplines. He is now in heaven. But he wrote about a little boy who lost his mother. And Dallas Willard lost his mom when he was just a young boy. And he said that this little boy was especially sad and lonely at night. And so he would come into his father's room and he would ask him if he could sleep in the same room. And even then he could not rest because he knew not only was he in the same room with his father, but he wanted to know, is the father facing toward him? And so in the darkness, he would say, Father, is your face turned toward me now? And the father would say, yes, you're not alone. I am with you. My face is turned toward you. That's the God we have. That's the compassion of our Savior. And in our days of deepest suffering, in days of despair, when we call out to our God, he regards the prayers of his people. He regards, he is close to the brokenhearted. So the first insight that we learn is to pray to our God who responds graciously to our prayers. We know he hears us. But he goes from describing his days of despair to verse 12 and through the next section, he shifts to the character of God. And what he is saying is, though his life has changed dramatically, everything is upended for his life. He turns and he, he says, but you, O Lord, are still on your throne. And in the verses that follow, he describes the character of our God who does not change. He said, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. He is saying, my life has changed, but God has not changed. His compassion has not changed. He is still on his throne. He is still sovereign. And I can trust in him. In verse 13, he talks about how you will arise, meaning God, I trust you will act in my behalf and you will have pity. And that word really is compassion. You will have compassion on me. He said, it is time to favor her. Appointed time has come. He is saying God will act in compassion toward me. His love is unfailing. You know what Jeremiah the prophet said? He said, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So he is saying, God, your compassion is still 
there. And then in verse 16, he says, the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in glory. He is saying, God, I am confident in your timing. You will answer the prayers that I have laid before you, and you will do the things that only you can do. And then in verse 18, he says an amazing thing. He says, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. He is saying, God, your character is the same throughout my life and every generation. And I know and I'm confident that what you will do in our day will be celebrated and praised in future generations. So how can he know this? Because he knows God is the same that his compassion remains, that his sovereignty remains, that his wisdom remains, that his grace is sufficient, that his mercy never comes to an end. That is what he's saying in this passage. I can trust you because you do not change. doesn't matter what I'm going through right now. You are still the same. There's a praise song that's popular right now that talks about the one thing that remains it says higher than the mountains that i face stronger than the power of the grave constant through the trial and the change one thing remains this one thing remains your love never fails it never gives up it never runs out on me because on and on it goes before it overwhelms and satisfies my soul and i never ever have to be afraid because this one thing remains. That's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, God, my days are filled with despair, but you, O Lord, are still on your throne. And your character does not change. And I can trust in you. And then near the end of the chapter, he says something that is really unexpected. It's found in verses 25 through 27. He says, of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same. Your ends never come to an end. He is saying, God, you have created this world. You have put all this together and we look around this world and we think it's going to last forever. But someday it's going to pass away too. And there'll be a new heaven and new earth. But you remain. You can take this world and wrap it up like an old set of clothes and set it aside. Or at the end of the day, taking off your robe and set it aside. Someday all that we see will no longer be here. But God, you remain. You are still here. And if you recognize that verse, it's because it's quoted in Hebrews chapter 1. It's a wonderful passage about uh, Jesus Christ and the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is superior to all the heavenly beings, to all the angels. And he describes that in the first part of the chapter and then he makes seven quotations from the Old Testament where he's basically saying for who among the angels did the Father ever say to them? And he gives a quotation and he says this is what the Father said to God the Son. And he gives all these amazing scriptures that Jesus Christ is, is absolutely unique in every way as our Lord and Savior, the only begotten Son of God. And in that list of seven quotations, he quotes Psalm 102, these verses. 
And he says in this passage, and he also says, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. And the Bible says Jesus was the creator several places in the Bible. So he put all that together. And then he says, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe that you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your ears will have no end. Now think about this. The words of this fainting, suffering servant, as he addressed it to God, though he did not know it at the time, the Holy Spirit would inspire the words that he used, that they were the very words that God the Father spoke to God the Son in eternity past and recorded in the New Testament that Jesus was a plan to be our Savior and Lord. An answer to the prayer of this suffering servant that was far more wonderful than anything that he could imagine. I mean that his own experience of weakness and suffering and despair would become a part of the New Testament story about Jesus Christ. That's beyond anything that he could have ever expected. And this is a reminder to us that whatever suffering we go through, it is still all about following Jesus. That is what our life is about. We are not defined by the suffering we go through. We are defined by following Jesus in spite of what a day might bring. I mentioned to you my pastor friend, and all that I learned from him in many years, but especially that last year of his life, there was a brief time his health, his strength came back, enough that he preached at his church, and I asked him to come preach to our pastors. And I'll never forget some of the things that he said. In his sermon, he, he talked about how that experience he was going through caused him to honestly look at his faith. He had always preached that you can trust God in every experience of life. And he says, I'm finding that's true. And he says, I want all of you to know as my brothers in Christ, he said, my faith is still intact. He said, my anchor holds and grips the solid rock of Jesus. And then he said something that put what he was going through in perspective for us. He said that he read a novel about a man who was fighting cancer. And one day in the height of the struggle, a nurse said to him, he said, uh, your cancer is not a bump in the road. Your cancer is the road. And my pastor friend said the nurse was wrong. He said, I know that my life can't be all about cancer. It has to be all about Jesus. He said, cancer is on the road of my journey in following Jesus, but it is not the road. He said, the road for me has been and always will be to seek God's face, to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, this is the same as it has always been. My circumstances may have changed, but Jesus has not changed. He is still my way, my truth, in my life. So in the days of suffering, 
we learn from this fainting psalmist that we can pray because God turns his face to us and regards our prayers. And we can trust because God's character has not changed. He is the same. And we can look for ways that God is working in unexpected ways to bless us. That's the God we have. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this chapter and how it speaks to the most difficult days that we experience and those loved ones that we have. And Lord, we thank you that you never change, that your compassion is unfailing, that your mercy is without end, that your grace is sufficient. And Lord, we thank you that when we cry out in days of despair, that you listen very carefully and turn your face to us and show your compassion. And Lord, we thank you that you are amazing in how you take the difficult days and turn them into a blessing, that you work in unexpected ways. When we look back, we just see the awesome things that you have done. And we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have an invitation time. You know, whenever uh, we've studied God's Word together, many times the Holy Spirit is speaking personally to someone. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, we're going to have an invitation time that you can come forward. I think there's also a response room that you can respond to after this service. But I always feel like if you are so blessed that you feel the Lord prompting you in some way, that is a special moment, not to ignore, not to put off. We do not determine the times that God begins to move in our life. We just respond to what he does. So if today that is what you are sensing, then I invite you to respond, whether privately or publicly or after the service, but to say, yes, Lord. Let's stand together. Steve will lead us in a song. I'll be here at the front and some of the staff to pray with you. If God is speaking to your heart, you come, if you would. Thank you.